Welcome to Demogranomics, your insight to the powerful surprises ahead for the US economy. Demogranomics, where people make markets. And now, here is Mike Williams. Hello there and welcome back. Uh, thanks for joining us. It's Mike Williams here. We're going to call today's episode Missing the Point. First of all, happy Father's Day to all dads for the weekend. Hope the weekend is wonderful and fun with the family. Now on to the other stuff. There were many reasons for the market chop we saw last week. Again, we're a couple weeks into summer. Brexit, the Fed, paltry job readings, consumers spending or not spending. They can't seem to make up their mind, apparently. Sure enough, Brexit, though, is soon going to pass, and the tens of billions of dollars exiting the market to prepare will once again have dodged a bullet. Sadly, as is almost always the case, though, those same dollars will be induced back into markets at higher prices once, and here's the key, the future is more clear. Though summer officially begins this week, markets have been in the summer haze for three weeks now, and the results are so far almost exactly as we covered in uh, just before the Memorial Day break. Chop, and then some more chop. Two steps forward and almost two steps back. My vote, let's keep it up. Let's keep up the chop and angst. Let's grind out the bullish zeal again. Let's get everyone bearish, or should I simply say more bearish? Our data is clear. People feel so much fear they have blinded themselves to the significant upside ahead. As investors, we must learn to embrace a rather disquieting thought. Wealth is not built or protected by knowing what's now built and protected by planning for what's next. The structural generational demand pipeline unfolding in the U.S. is rare. It focuses almost entirely on strength for the U.S., and the U.S. has never been set on a stronger foundation, as much as the news will not tell you that. Those fretting over the next Fed, over the Fed and the next rate hike have missed the point almost entirely. I recognize it serves up good nervous chatter. It sounds persuasive in sound bites. It keeps our attention and it sells lots of ads, whether you're watching TV, listening to an on-air review, or clicking on a button on a website. But it takes away from the fact that it does little to build new wealth. Here's the thing. We all can recognize this. Being pessimistic kind of sounds smarter than being optimistic, doesn't it? I mean, you sound like you know what you're talking about when you tell everybody the world's ending and every reason why. Whereas if you just say, guys, I don't know if you've thought about this, but for, I don't know, a couple of hundred years, the world's been ending and it hasn't yet. In fact, it gets a little better every year that goes by or every decade or every two decades. If you say that kind of stuff, you just sound like you're being Pollyannish and you really don't understand what's going on. But let's take another look. There's a reason the barbell economy portfolio that we provide members is acting the way it has now for going on its fifth year. It's not because of the right PE, the right margin, the right cash flow, or the right peg ratio. It's not about margins or earnings momentum. Those constantly shift from quarter to quarter. If those expert viewpoints were indeed the drivers of building real wealth, why then is 
everyone listening still looking for something better? Why do most investors, the record shows, still retrieve only a mild share of what the market actually produces over time if all those things we think we know are the correct things to focus on? Ponder this instead. Did Warren Buffett buy BNSF a couple years ago because of its P.E.? Or how about the most recent uh, purchase he made, uh, oddly enough, the largest of all his time, precision cast parts? Indeed, in neither case was it based on P.E. In fact, in both cases, he paid a premium, such as to pay almost the highest price those two companies had ever traded at publicly. The former, the railroad, being in the middle of the great meltdown of 2008-2009. So what's happened since? Billions and billions in profits have rolled in to Berkshire. There's an eerily simple thing about future values that we must keep our eyes on. Oddly enough, it is so simple that it bends the mind to the point of doubt and disbelief. Before we cover that, let's review this thought together. Let's pretend that you run XYZ Corporation and you sell ABC widgets in three sizes and four colors. You and I are sitting at your conference table one day and I throw this thought out to you. Jack, here's what you may want to focus upon. Over the next five to ten years, 70 million new customers will flow through your demand pipeline. Are you ready for that? Step back while you ponder that and consider the perspective of an investor buying your stock. If they understand the fact we just shared at your conference table, do you think your current P.E. or peg ratio or cash flows or margin levels will mean anything to the future value of what is coming your way or to what values your stock might expand to? No, it means nothing. And oddly enough, an investor will unlikely experience the same impact as investors, say, buying an SPY, a spider ETF, which historically, repeatedly shows us, kind of waters down your effect. An ETF does not focus specifically on the specifics of the barbell economy, as noted in your member area. Here's what we want to do. You know what Pareto's rule is. The rule is 80% of what you get comes out of 20% of what you do. A lot of people call it the 80-20 rule. Well, guess what? The 80-20 rule is at work in our economy more than many understand. And that 80-20 deal is going to last for about half a century. Long time. So we need to have a higher viewpoint to understand and participate in the wave of growth headed our way here in the U.S., investors must be comfortable with a set of perspectives which are different from what they've used before. I'm sorry to sound disconnected here, but the P.E.s in the 1982 stock market had absolutely no bearing on the fact that a massive new generation called the baby boom was about to hit the economic system here in ways we had never witnessed before. The same thing is here again. So let's keep it very basic. Let's clear the fog. Let's stop the massive amount of overanalysis we tend to get lost in after years of experts telling us we must do so to be successful in managing risk 
and accruing wealth. Let's make sure we understand this difference between 1982 and today. Today, it's an even bigger wave coming our way. This is all easy to overlook, I understand. So in an effort to make sure I am communicating effectively here, I recognize the difficulty in letting go of hazy lenses we have been taught to overlay on our investment plans. I get the need to hedge and have diversity in asset allocation models, but those haven't done too well. I understand and respect that the news and the repetitive nature in which it hurdles towards us in every avenue is a tough item to push aside and see beyond. But note this, the bad news has always been with us. And when we're done with the current problems, there will indeed be more problems. More important, however, is the tune in the background that always plays even if we don't listen. Building and protecting generational wealth wasn't supposed to be easy. If it was, they'd have called it fun and not investing. If we had a route that had no risk, then everyone would have found it and its value would be nothing to fight for. Make no mistake, to get different results from those averages we all always see, one must view things differently than the crowd and the mass of experts. In a world addicted to feeling we need massive, ever-changing information, we must focus on elements which are much more basic, much more foundational, long-term, and impossible to dismiss, erase, or manipulate. Number one, how many people are in XYZ's market for ABC widget buyers? And is that number getting larger or smaller? If you think this is crazy, ask Levi's and Honda Motorcycles if their PEs, margins, or cash flows at the time were why their businesses fell off a cliff. Good news and bad news. I read this in a piece recently. The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute stated that given the massive improvements in treating heart ailments since the 1960s, quote, there were 1.223 million fewer deaths from heart disease in 2010 than would have occurred if there had been no decline in ailments. In a world of large numbers, this mind-boggling improvement is again easy to overlook. Just how many people is that? Well, consider that some 400,000 Americans died in World War II. This suggests that the noted improvements in heart disease now prevent that many deaths every 120 days or so. We never hear that in the news, likely because the trend occurred so slowly and quietly over half a century. Consider instead how we act, react to, say, market panic selling, natural disasters, or terrorism. And it's, well, hugely different, shall we say. No matter the wealth we accumulate over our lives, most human beings are wired to act with the same basic emotions. Studies on how we react to risk have shown that when really big stuff happens slowly, few people notice. When less important things happen quickly, people can't stop fretting over it or focusing upon it. Why or how is this relevant to stocks, investing, and wealth building? Because stocks tend to fall much faster 
then they rise. I'm looking at a chart here so you can't see it, but I'll give you some stats. Bull markets create wealth, but they're slow. Sometimes so slow, many fear they're ending. Bear markets over time or short are short intervening periods required along the progress of amassing wealth. They happen quickly. More important, sometimes they can be so fierce, shocking the senses so deeply that investors can't stop talking about them or fearing their repeat even after they have long passed. But here's the deal. The average bull market over the last century has lasted 103 months and was pretty tame most of the time. The average bear market, on the other hand, has less than 17 months in its length and was often vicious. Intrigued yet? Well, if you crunch some numbers, you'll find that the average annualized decline during bear markets is nearly double the average annualized gain during bull markets. Pretty scary, right? How does it catch up? Well, here's the reason. The average bull market lasted seven times as long as the average bear market. The market's gain during the full period is huge. Stocks rose 3,000-fold during the last 100 years. Here's the dirty little secret. Success takes a long time, a discipline, a focus, an ability to see beyond what others focus on for too long. In business, we all know good news happens slowly and we don't pay attention. Why? Well, it's all in the process of blending and maturing ideas, hard work, all while making progress against constant competition and change. That takes time. On the other hand, bad news hits quickly, often from a realignment of immediate expectations, which can occur in an instant, only to be resolved later, after the fear has impacted too many. This might help explain a common but annoying feature of market news. I'm going to close out with this example to drive home the point. Why is all that we remember about the crash in October of 1987 the following headline? Stocks crash 22% in one day. And we never remember this. Hey folks, even after the 22% decline on October 19th, 1987, stocks have nearly doubled since 1981, a short six years ago. And oddly enough, they are up 300% since the 1975 lows. Think about that, guys. And remember, fear drives attention. People drive markets. Thanks again for joining us. We hope this has been helpful. Until we see you again on the next podcast, may your journey be grand and your legacy significant.